0: Welcome to the show, I'm your host Yulia, and before we get into the interview, I want to tell you about a short film festival that I'm producing at the Brooklyn Museum on March 7th, 2021. It will feature the work of women directors, and we're going to be celebrating it super close to International Women's Day. I'm really, really excited. And if you're a woman-owned brand, or if you're a brand that champions women, get in touch. You can reach us on the website at dreamnation.io. Send us an email. We'd love to have you be a part of this really amazing day. And speaking of amazing, today on the show, I have Minda Hartz, who is the CEO of The Memo. It's a career development platform for women of color. And Minda is a multi-hyphenate. She's also the best-selling author of The Memo, which we're going to talk about on this show today. And the full name of the book is What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. Mind is an assistant professor at NYU Wagner. She has been featured on MSNBC's Morning Joe, Fast Company, The Guardian, and Time Magazine. She frequently speaks at companies like Microsoft, Levi's, Google, and Bloomberg on topics such as leadership, managing diverse teams, and self-advocacy. She also hosts a weekly podcast called Secure the Seat. I'm super excited to bring you this interview, and I hope you enjoy the show. Have a great day. Minda, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Excited to be here.
0: I am so excited that I met you. We met through Bustle. We did a panel together and I thought you were really awesome. And then your book came out and then you started doing your podcast. And I was like, yes, this woman is awesome and she's kicking butt and we need to have a podcast and we're doing it.
1: Yes. Well, thank you for uh, it's such a pleasure to meet you. And you've you know really amplified important voices and stories. So thank you for your advocacy as well
0: oh thank you you know i'm a storyteller heart and uh, i just also like hanging out with people and talking about really interesting stuff so the podcast is just a way for me to hang out with friends (laughs) (laughs) while like putting out positive vibes into the world and amplifying consciousness and um i just finished your book and i think it's so funny that i'm recording in a music studio because i ended up here today because my uh there's like construction all on my street. So I ended up renting a recording studio so I can have some quiet time. And I think it's not a coincidence because your book has music quotes through it, like throughout. How how ironic is that? (laughs) Isn't life hilarious? Yes. And I'm like, you know what, like, this is just like the world amplifying the energy.
1: I love
0: it. I really loved your book. And I just want to share the book. I want every company to buy your book. If you're a company and you read books <laughs> and you have employees and you have diverse teams, and especially if you don't have diverse teams, you need to read the memo. You need to get the memo. And um, my first question to you is, uh, what was your dream as a kid?
1: Wow. Yeah. Um that's a great question, and again, thank you for your support. You know, so a- as a kid, I I grew up in a low income family, and so not to say that you don't dream big in that way, but I think that I wasn't dreaming big enough in some cases, you know. Um, and so for me, I you know just wanted my dream was just to be stable in terms of like um, you know having a nice place that you lived and and having money enough money to pay the bills and those sorts of things, and when you see you know many of your family struggling through the years you just you just dreams are stability, and so um my thing was you know go to college and and find that stability and so that was my dream and and thankfully, I was able to to do that as the first person in my family to graduate from college
0: that's awesome I think it's so interesting that you talk about dreams and uh when it comes from a lower income Household, Because what I really discovered on this podcast is that it's harder to dream when you don't have money. And I think it's um, we, we become anomalies. I grew up in a low-income household as well, and my mom's a single mom. So even though I had these dreams, I knew how difficult it was for me to achieve them. So doing this podcast, I'm also realizing that there's a huge divide in dreams when it comes to people who have money and to people who don't have money because it limits your imagination and that shouldn't be the case for anyone right Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so so this podcast is a way to help people hack dreams right because you can still dream when you have no money and you can still achieve things and i think you and i are both living proof absolutely right <laughs> so so i'm like if we can do it you can do it trust me
1: <laughs> Ab- absolutely i tell people that all the time they're like how do you do it i'm like listen consistency it's just that perseverance you know once you activate that it really will take you far
0: as silly as it sounds dreaming big will get you places
1: yeah it sounds like people will say it you know as a cliche but i totally believe in it because we have to, it's that curiosity has to be larger than our fear. And even though you can't see maybe the manifestation just yet, but just the fact that you're able to think about what could be bigger than what you're doing right now or, or experiencing. And I think there's a lot of power in that.
0: I think so. So how did the memo manifest? How did you sit down to write it, writing a book? Um, it's not an easy process. It takes a lot of discipline. And uh, you said you were listening, I I was reading your book and you said you were listening to Drake. (laughs) So uh, I'd love to hear about how you came up with a memo and um, which led to this podcast and all the amazing work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, So I was working my day job at the time, my corporate job, and I realized that I had the certain responsibility as a black woman, as a woman of color, to make the workplace better than I found it. And I wasn't sure what that looked like, but I thought that, oh, let me start writing about these experiences on a weekly blog. And, and that's what started the memo. I was on the train from Washington, D.C. on a business trip back to New York City to my house, and through my earbuds came this Drake song, uh, Trophies. And there's a line that says, did y'all boys not get the memo? And it just smacked me. Um, really hard kind of in the gut, like, wow, you know, corporate America, people have not gotten the memo that just because we all show up to the same place every day, we don't all experience the workplace the same and we don't have the same opportunities, you know, and, and there needs to be some some conversation around that. And that was in 2015, but um, my book didn't come out till 2019. So it took some various iterations of the business and and just my courage to speak out on certain things that had been Traditionally, historically taboo, and just continue to dream bigger as each iteration of my journey increased.
0: Yeah, you know it's um, it's interesting to use the word taboo, right? Because there's so many people say bring your whole self to work, but what does that really mean for everyone? <laughs>
1: Yeah, whose version are we talking about?
0: Right? <laughs> Who, whose version? And uh, you know, I look a, a, at a lot of diversity um, initiatives. Again, what version are you allowed to show up as? And that is such a conversation that that sticks with with me because all of us are so much more than what we bring to work. Absolutely. So how how do we create that space? And it's not about diversity departments accommodating our cultures. It's about how do you accommodate a whole entire person?
1: Yeah, it's a lot bigger. I'm glad you you made that distinction because I think oftentimes people think, oh, well, we have the diversity and inclusion department. We have the chief diversity officer. And yes, that is great. (laughs) But it's kind of like that, Yes and, right? You need this, <laughs> but you also need a culture. It's people. It's people who harm people, right? So it's how do we close this empathy gap for everyone at work so that you see me just as valuable as someone who looks like you, right? Or someone who identifies with you. So once we have these conversations to say, yes, there are very diff- there are many differences that each of us show up as, but how do we accommodate being human to each other, right? And I think somewhere along the line, the empathy has been taken out of diversity, right? It's not just getting a bunch of multicultural people in the room and go go work, John, you know, go work, Susie. It's about how how can they get the how can you get the most out of your talent? And in order to do that, you have to understand their intersections, their stories.
0: Yes. And you have to understand cultures. And um it's, such a, it, it's almost like a whole entire separate conversation because there's so much to, to digest there. Um, because I think in a way at work, there's so much work that needs to be done, but there's so much that everyone can bring to their job on top of just their skills, which is their emotional intelligence, right? I think when you're culturally diverse, you have a lot more insight. Whenever I go into an agency, I bring my insight of an immigrant. And I see things from a totally dis- different perspective, but again, there has to be space where you can input that advice. <laughs> it's kind of like the Olaya. The Olaya came <laughs> out, mm-hmm. and people are like, "It was produced by a woman-run agency, which is in-house for Olay, and um, it has Lily Singh and it has the other woman. I fr- I forget her name. And uh, but again, they they wrote in something that said." Um, you know like what does this button do or just the typical just the typical thing that like if there's a man writing a script they'll they'll put in a question for a woman they won't mm-hmm. like have her own her knowledge it's it's always like oh what does this do what's going to happen next and again if there was more diversity on the team being a whole entire woman-run agency as well, you still need diversity within that diversity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Another good one that you, there was a a, a prominent bookseller that put out a uh, Black History Month ad, and instead of highlighting the voices of Black authors, they changed the covers of books written by white men and women to have brown skin.
0: It's oh, like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh no! And you know, and it's. it's well-intentioned, I'm sure. Right. But when you don't have that emotional intelligence, you don't have that cultural competency, you would know that this is actually more harm than you set out to do. Right. But, but you're like, what we tried, you know, we meant well, but meaning well is not going to, is not going to lend us a better future for work.
0: Yes. It's so true. And, um, there's so many questions, right. And when it comes to work, what, your advice for advocating for oneself?
1: Yeah, I think self-advocacy, regardless of how you identify, is one of the most, in my opinion, the most important tool you could ever have. Because once, you're, once your voice is silenced, you no longer can advocate for yourself in the way that you might need to and that others aren't thinking about you in. And so I think even with women of color, Black women, women, period, we have been conditioned not to speak up or if you do then you're viewed as you know aggressive or and 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 i think that we have to take back our power and our voice and and many of us do that well but then there's some of us that are very you know scared to lean into that and so i think that self advocacy is important because we have to articulate our value and quantify our worth and ask for what we want because The reality is our managers, the powers that be, they have so many other things on their plate that they're not always thinking about our success at work (laughs) and how to advance us because they're thinking about themselves or they're thinking about people they mentor and all these other things. And so I think it's really important for us to those small acts of courage to say, you know, maybe I'm not able to advocate every single day of the week, but the things that really matter to me in my career I'm not going to leave it in the hands of anybody else. I have to be on the forefront of my career. And so I think giving ourselves that permission to speak up on the things that we want, because we've worked too hard to lean out now.
0: Yes. Um, there was a really great piece of advice in your book that said, schedule a time every two weeks with your manager to sit down and talk about your goals. And, um, and that is just such a simple simple tool that somebody can use to be on the radar and have their voice heard, which I think a lot of people don't use. Personally, I know when I was younger in my career, I didn't I didn't use that tool because I was also nervous. I was like, I'm not gonna talk to my boss. They're busy. Right. So I thought that like my needs (laughs) were not important. And I realized look, when I was reading your book, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't do any of these things in my career. A, because I'm also a little punk rock. So I don't really like to do the like the schmoozing the networking
1: the game right
0: <laughs> the game i don't i'm i'm an entrepreneur i'm a hermit i'm i'm you know i i work best doing podcasts one on one and like just just being a little hermit and just and just staying out of social groups and uh i'm i'm an introvert so i think it's a, a lot harder too for people who are introverts to succeed but looking back on it i'm like oh right going out for drinks with your coworkers All these things are so important, but all these things are also influenced by your culture, too. So it's overcoming these barriers um, within all of us to succeed. There was a point where you were writing about um, going to therapy, right? And therapy is kind of considered a taboo subject in African-American communities. And uh, it's considered a taboo subject in Russian communities, too. I'm Russian. We talk to people. We talk to friends. We Mm -hmm. talk to anybody besides a therapist. But we're a talking culture. We're a culture that when you ask somebody how, how somebody is doing, you tell them exactly what's going on. You're like, I'm having surgery next week, my cousin's <laughs> going through a divorce. You talk. And I remember when I moved to America, I was like, wait, people ask you how are you? but they don't care. <laughs> the pleasantries. <laughs> yes. And that's what I realized. Okay, this is gonna be a different culture fit because I can't I can't br- I can't bring myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, okay, I gotta fit into this culture. And uh, maybe just give a few more tips, if you can, just on how how people can advocate for themselves. Like in your book, you said schedule a meeting, right? Go out with your coworkers.
1: Yeah, I think all of those things. So, for example, if you see yourself as an introvert or or an extrovert, it's still important that we take control of our career because, again, There's one stat that I I found interesting when writing the book, um, and I didn't include it in the book, but it's 70% of the women that I interviewed who identify as women of color or black, 70% of them said that they felt like their managers were not invested in their success. And that's a very high number. And you can see the correlation because one in 25 women of color get advanced to the C-suite, whereas one in five white women get advanced in the C-suite. And so it's imperative that we as women, however you identify, speak up for ourselves because we don't have people who are always thinking about us in that way. And so if you do have the moment where you can't have a one-on-one, come with your agenda, right? So you've scheduled the meeting, but also what is your agenda for the meeting? What are some talking points that you have that your boss may not bring to you? What's the stretch assignment that you can ask for because you're thinking about two positions ahead, right? So maybe you're uh, you know, a, a, an associate director, but you want the managing director. So asking for those things that are going to help you hone in on those skills. The other thing is um, professional development. Many companies and organizations have a stipend. If there's something that you need or, or a certification, asking for it. And so even if they say no, the part of the equation that you get to control is what you ask for. And so it's important for us to do that. And lastly, I'll say part of also part of self-advocacy is telling your peers, the ones that you trust, um, you know, ways to help each other. But then those moments that you're in the elevator with a senior leader and how often have many of us, they might've said, Hey, how are you? And we just say, Oh, well, I'm good. And then we just keep looking at the elevator door, <laughs> you know, but what what if we would, were to say, Oh, I'm doing great, but also I'm working on this really, amazing project and blah, 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 blah. Like that's your opportunity to use these moments for yourself to to create the shine that you need. And I think sometimes we're just so used to dimming our light. And so part of self-advocacy is letting your light shine.
0: Yes. Yes. I'm so bad at that too, uh, because I'm a hermit and I do so much amazing stuff and as a contractor, I can't really talk about it. Like, I can't talk about the awards that I helped win because I'm a part <laughs> of a team. So so I don't think people, like, know what I do. You know what I mean? Because I'm so vague about it. And I'm so, I've got NDAs. <laughs> so, like, yeah. you know. And and I think there's also something to to being short, too. I'm short and I'm cute. And I think I'm underestimated a lot. And um, And I think that happens for a lot of people that are short. <laughs> and cute and especially women but when we (laughs) but when like people take a second look they're like okay oh okay I get this like I've come in so many into so many boardrooms that people are like oh like are you the intern I'm like no no I'm not (laughs) I'm a creative director you have to advocate for yourself and
1: I'm glad you said you say that because sometimes I think about times in my career where people have like discounted what I was there to do. And I don't say anything, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, whatever. Mm -hmm. they didn't know, you know, (laughs) but it's like, um, it's important that we do, you know, um, our former first lady, Michelle Obama, she always talks about taking up space and, and it can be the simplest things, just like correcting somebody when they've taken away a credential from you. And it's not arrogance, but it's just reminding people, you know, I've worked hard for these things and these things, these things matter to me. Right. (laughs) And so, um, it's just, I think we, because we've been told, just put your head down and work hard. We are not used to lifting up our head and, and speaking up many of us. Right. And so I think yes. it it is changing even the, it's making ourselves uncomfortable so that we can get what we want because the reality is there's people out there with half the talent, half the drive.
0: <laughs> that out there. So, so many, so many. And they use Twitter. Uh <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, you know what I really loved about your book? They had like a huge resource section on the back and it was filled with career coaches, names, um, and also had a lot of really great templates for when you're sending out emails and you're not really sure what to write. And I thought that was awesome.
1: Thank you. It's all the things, you know, that I wish I would have had, right? <laughs> or that mm-hmm. somebody would have told me, or even just thought, "Oh, yeah, following up—that is a thing, right?" And and because many of us are doing all the things, we sometimes might have blind spots in other areas. And so, I just wanted to be able to leave people with with tangible resources that they're like, "Okay, this works for me, right?" And or or it doesn't, or maybe I, I'm already doing this, but here's a way that I can rethink how to execute this a little bit differently.
0: Hmm. I really felt for your chapter when you were writing about working um, at a job that was really toxic, and you moved all the way across the coast, and it was a promotion, and then you found yourself in a really toxic environment. And uh, it was it was refreshing to hear your journey because I think a lot of people had been in those toxic environments, and uh, and especially for people of color. Right. And this is a bigger conversation of how women can be mean girls at work, how girls grow up to be mean girls and then they grow up to be mean women. And in a way, we think, you know, when we get to work, when we get to a place, sometimes we end up working with a woman, but then she ends up being completely mean to us. And it's disheartening because we think there's supposed to be like a camaraderie, but there isn't. And, um, and when you bring in race, different cultures that can set up just an uncomfortable working environment. If somebody is, let's just say racist or a jerk. And a lot of people have been in these environments and I don't think anybody really talks about it. So to see your story in print is so powerful.
1: Thank you. You know, it was the hardest chapter to write actually, um, even to record, and even though that story that I wrote about happened, you know, seven years ago, when I read it out loud or when I went to record it uh, for the audio book, I didn't realize that I still needed time to heal from that situation. That it still hurt, uh, even though I had tried to push it push it aside. And and one thing that I'll say is, I have so many men and women, uh, women of color, but then those who don't identify that way that read the story, just like you said, and they can put themselves in a similar situation because they were there too, right? They had Mm -hmm. a toxic work environment. And I think me being vulnerable and telling that story is how we close the empathy gap, right? So some people who would say, oh, that's not a racist situation, that's just blah, blah, blah. When I might just say, oh, I had a a racist, toxic environment that I was working in. But when someone reads the story and they can see you in the narrative and see yourself, it's like, I think it's a different emotion that it invokes. And um, I wanted to really be intentional about you know, letting people know that these things happen. And I think, to your point, we don't talk about them. And then these offenders keep continuing the toxicity, right? But if we mm-hmm. don't speak out on these things or, or remind us that we don't have to make this work, we can find another space because <laughs> we should center ourselves in and be able to thrive at work. And I think sometimes we just need to be reminded of that.
0: Yes. But you know, it's also about not letting mean girls win. It's so hard to be in those positions. And sometimes I feel like, especially for people of color, minorities, women, me included, you know, I've, I've worked a lot of jobs where I've been sexually harassed. I've also had women who were just monsters, just monsters. It's very easy for us to walk away because the people who are creating the offenses are usually in higher power. And I don't want it to be so. And I know it sounds like silly and and maybe a little dreamy, but like, I want to live in a perfect world where people are not jerks. And I know it's impossible. But I think the more we talk about it, and the more we raise our voice about it, and the more we say, this is not okay. I hope that it brings about change. And it's not going to be immediate change. But maybe hopefully in the next 50 years, People are just, I don't know. It, I'm called Dream Nation love. So I, I do hope the love prevails in the end.
1: I, I'm with you because I think love is is the recipe for for all of this, that love and empathy. And, you know, I, I was recently at a company and they said, well, what about the people who don't want to be allies or don't want to put any skin in the game? And I said, you know, I think that more of us want that. We want an environment where everybody can have equity. And I think that those people who don't, those mean girls, those mean guys, those whoever, mm-hmm. they'll end up phasing out, right? Because the more mm-hmm. of us will stand up and rise up and we won't accept that type of, and they'll be the outsider right? because that that won't be tolerated. Just like, you know, we talk about sexual harassment and there's this climate in which this isn't tolerated. I'm hoping that that type of harassment, because it's just as toxic, will also be something that the HR... Leaders take into account. I had a woman who she um, is going through mediation, and she came through a book tour, and, and her manager, in her, uh, she felt like he was being racist to her. They went through mediation. Long story short, at the end of the investigation, they said, "No, he's not being racist. He's just ignorant. Go back and look at him." You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh God. And it's like, how 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 is that even possible, right? And. And these are the things that we just sweep under the rug. Like this man, he he doesn't have any reason to do better because he didn't mean any harm, right? Even though he was being problematic, but we can't just chop everything up to people not meaning harm and being ignorant. I, I just think that there, we should have a no tolerance for, for that type of behavior.
0: Yeah, it's 2020. You know, when I was, I was looking back at, the history of the U S and I was like, you know, this country has only been around for what, like 247 years. And I was like, America is so new. And there's so much, there's so much change that happened in the last 60 years. Right. You were in, um, you, you posted uh, a picture of sitting next to Rosa Parks, who's like one of my heroes, um, on you know, in front of the bus yesterday. I was like, segregation only happened like in the sixties.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's only been a hundred years. So even though as a culture, we're so focused on unity and multiculturalism, but there are a lot of parts of the U.S. that that have not progressed yet. And it's because of fear. It's because of fear. And it's because of generations of being in control and not wanting change and also being jerks. (laughs) So,
1: yep, a lot of it is being a jerk. (laughs)
0: A lot a lot of it is just being a jerk. There's just no reason not to be a jerk in this day and age. And um, I'm I'm just curious as to like, how do we show people love? How do we get them to open up their hearts and think about other people instead of themselves?
1: Yeah. Um, I think having these conversations, the work that you're doing, you know, just allowing people to, to hear a different perspective and hopefully they open up their heart to that.
0: And there's so many different perspectives. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of... Um, I do a lot of activism um, when it comes to women's rights, and uh, I've been doing it since 1999. I've been doing it for so long. And uh, what I'm also seeing is that there are a lot of divisions within the women's rights movements, like Black Lives Matter and um, Native American Missing Woman causes are often left out of women's rights. I love the fact that you brought this up in your book because I think the women's rights movement has to look beyond itself it has to look beyond its own white privilege and I say white privilege as like a white woman but then again I'm a white woman immigrant so I have a slightly different perspective <laughs> because I didn't grow up in this country right right and and I urged the whole entire women's march to be more inclusive yeah
1: I hope so I mean you know i participated in in some of those and And I do think there's a lot of room uh, for inclusivity. I I was recently having a conversation with a women's co-working space here in New York City, a a new one that recently opened up in the last year, and they're doing really well. They've raised a lot of money. and, And I said, you know, it's part of, this is great, but again, what women are we talking about, right? Because there's only a certain sort type of woman that even has access into a space like this, right?
0: (laughs) It's expensive. And if you live in New York, oh my God. Oh my God. So yeah. So I just think
1: back to the perspective thing, right? You know, well intentions just aren't good enough, right? Um, Yes. We cloak everything in gender diversity, but even in that we miss out on a lot of people. So I think the, the, the solution is, we continue to have these conversations and elevate the platforms because we're very lucky you and me and others who we live in a very digital, um, universe. So where we can use our voice in ways that people weren't able to, um, back then. And I think the more we're finding each other so that we realize that success is not a solo sport. Like we can't break these systems down without each other.
0: Yes, it's so true. Um, you know, I, also wanted to ask you, what's your advice for people when it comes to standing up for their colleagues in a corporate environment as well? Because I know a lot of people also want to stand up sometimes when they see injustice, but sometimes they're scared. And you can blame it on ignorance, you can blame it on fear, but also ignorance and fear, I think, go hand in hand. And, um, and also, I think a lot of people who would stand up, um, they're also scared to go against conformist culture
1: it takes courage to stand up. Mm -hmm. It takes courage to stand up for yourself. It takes courage to stand up for somebody else. And I think that if we want to live in a different world, then it's going to take courage. And you think about, you know, the Rosa Parks of the world, the Martin Luther Kings, um, many others, it was courage that had them getting up every morning and putting themselves in harm's way, right? And not Mm -hmm. for themselves, like they would go into the face of danger Uh, Maybe not knowing what would happen, but not for themselves, not being selfish, but being selfless. And they did it for all of us. Right. And I think we have to think about advocacy in the sense of how are we helping the next generation to come behind us? Are we leaving this toxic workplace for them to just come and experience it the same way we did? Or are we going to change the system now so that they are direct beneficiaries of a better culture? Right. And so that's the way I look at it. And even even in these senses, like the other day I was at a really prominent company giving a talk, mm-hmm. and it was some of the 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 firm's family, you know, the heirs were even in the audience. And I asked myself, okay, Minda, are you really gonna say the things that you really need to say? Are you gonna water it down because of mm-hmm. who's in the audience? Right. And I realized that. And they may not bring you back or whatever the case, you know, I wasn't sure. Right. But I let that Mm -hmm. kind of dictate what I was going to say, what I wasn't going to say. But what I realized was if I don't say it, if I don't do it, who else is right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is what it is. And so that's what I tell people in their advocacy. Like you don't have to get on the table and tell everybody off. But what small acts of courage can you do to make sure that um, either if that person you saw something happen to that person that you. Go to them and say, Hey, I'm sorry that I failed you. The next time I will try to do a better job to be there for you in this moment. But we won't even say that, you know? (laughs) So, yeah.
0: Well, you know, you had a really great term in the book, and it just like, it just like, it really stuck with me. You called it being a corporate (laughs) Copernic, you know, where you risk standing up for people, you risk standing up for your values, but you also risk the repercussions. And a lot of people are so scared, but I think all of us just need to Kerbernic it.
1: yes we we have to in our own ways we have to take that knee right we have yeah. to figure out what that means because somebody did it for us right yeah. somebody
0: did it for us or they didn't do it for us
1: well or, or, or that too didn't. right or they
0: didn't they
1: didn't and so who are you gonna do it for
0: <laughs> right um but then again, it goes back to like, oh, let's just create companies that we like, that people are just going to want to work at because we have a better culture and we're just doing things better. It's about showing. It's, it's, I'm so over trying to fit into people's worlds. I just want to create my own world and just invite people into it and just show them that there is like a better alternative that like, yeah, you can do that. You can keep on doing whatever you're doing, but look what my friends and I are doing here. Isn't this world so much better? Don't you, don't you just want to play like in our sandpit instead? Because, (laughs) because we're nice. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing.
0: And, um, there's so much to be said about just working in a corporate environment and really finding your home. Um, And the kind of narratives that are allowed in the corporate world, right? Like what? Going back to you giving a speech and their heirs being in the in the audience, right? Because I think when you read presentation books, corporate books, everything says know your audience, right? Know your audience, cater to your audience. But there comes a point where you have to speak beyond the audience and you have to enlighten them in a weird way. Right. Maybe no enlightenment is not the right word. Right. But you have to, you have to open their eyes to beyond their bubble. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really easy when you're in a company, especially if the company is not diverse to just be in your little bubble of your company and your little bubble of home and, And now go to other bubbles. Yeah. And other bubbles are awesome. They have got like amazing people and amazing food, but we don't also don't have the spaces where people can connect. I think New York is really different. I think suburban cities are really different because New York is amazing, right? We have a huge mix of cultures and everybody Mm -hmm. is just one. But when it comes to other places, it's really hard to find that diversity. So how can we create it? I hope that my podcast creates it. Where somebody who's living, you know, in a in a really rural place, they can't get somewhere and they feel alone, but they know they can tune in and hear a voice and they can hear these discussions.
1: Yes, keep doing the work because this is important, and and um, that's how we do it, right? Some people mm-hmm. say, "Well, I'm not famous and I don't have influence," but each of us is a leader, and each of us has influence. If you influence one other person to think a little bit differently or to um, lean into their courage a little bit more, then we've helped one more person join the team of making this place a better, a more lovable place to live and be.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's about inclusion, and um, <laughs> what I think is really funny these days is that like people are really going after the word diversity. They're like, no, 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 you can't use the word diversity because it can't, it doesn't describe people. Um, and And everybody has to be using the word inclusion. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now the definition of diversity is being modified to like to whoever is just everything is being modified, right? And like what narratives are we being allowed? Like what is the policing that is going on? because it's like these narratives are happening, but then they start being policed, and the conversations get tighter, and that comes out of you know the Me to men and everything else. It's like we're taking five steps back mm-hmm. and I want to create spaces that are really, really inclusive and diverse too.
1: Yeah. We, yeah, we need them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, again, going back to just using your voice and then it activates someone else's voice. And you think about even a book like The Memo. Um, it was something that I was scared to write. You know, <laughs> I was like, I wish somebody else would come along and write this <laughs> book. Um, but it's one of those things that we definitely have to push aside our caution and, and lean into our courage. And that's the only way that we change the dynamics. And we can't be afraid to have courageous conversations and we can't, and crucial conversations, but on the flip side, we can't afford not to be courageous listeners because if you're not used to hearing some of these things, it might feel uncomfortable, but that's the only way that we're going to move the needle any.
0: Hashtag courageous listening, hashtag courageous conversations. <laughs> and I I love that. You know, my brain thinks in advertising mode and I'm like, you know, it's so interesting to start these courageous conversations on the internet. And I think Facebook and Instagram and all these places are such wonderful places to connect and have these discussions, which aren't really being had. Like Twitter is just like a shouting match that people don't listen to each other. And everybody is in their bubble. And I just want people to come out of their bubble and visit other people's bubbles and like hang out. Yeah. Go to people's houses, go have dinner, go hang out, go dancing together, get to know people outside of work, get to know people as, as people. As people, we're all people. people.
1: That's what it all boils down to is we all are human beings, right? We all have feelings and it's like, okay, get to know each other. If you know me, you're not going to care too much about me if you only talk to me when we both get paper out of the printer. You know what I mean? Like we have to... (laughs) so uh yeah
0: yes uh I can talk about this for hours right um because I'll have uh I'll have friends that are like really white and I'm like you do you do you have any friends that are like oh I have like two friends I'm like have you ever been to their house like have you ever dated a person of color yeah like if again to your to your um to your book when you're like if I scroll through your feed is it really diverse mm-hmm you know, and it's hard for people to become diverse and I don't want to like push everyone into <laughs> being diverse because you know, if you're just like you know, like if you're a neo Nazi, obviously you're not gonna be diverse. Mm-hmm. But like, but you know what? Maybe come have dinner somewhere else and come hang out and like go you know, to a different part that, of like, town. You go know what I go mean. to a different party. <laughs> like the Nazi party is not a fun party. <laughs> There's no party. Go no go party. have brunch in Harlem. If you never
1: go to Harlem, you know, like if you yes. never, and in, if you live in Harlem and you never go to Tribeca, like go have brunch in Tribeca. Like we have to get in other people's spaces so that we can understand culture, yes. you know, experiences.
0: Yes, and um, it's such a different conversation too. But um, but I will also want to ask you, what's your dream as an adult? Hmm.
1: I'm still dreaming. Uh, yeah. I'm still dreaming. And uh, right now I'm living my dream. You know, I wanted to be able to put out content that would be impactful, that would be life changing. And um, I do believe that because of this book, it will signal to the publishers that content, diverse content is important. And diverse storytellers are, we ha- have an audience for, for this. And so I'm excited about what the future of work look, looks like when we center ourselves.
0: I love your shirt, too. Uh, yes, yeah, somebody it
1: it says, sent it to me. Um, uh, the company, Consciously Unbiased, they sent me a message and said, can we send you one of our shirts? And I said, yes, you can. <laughs> so
0: I'm, I'm wondering if you have another book coming out. Are you working on another book? Actually, when I get off of
1: this call with you, I'm going to brush my hair and go and talk. <laughs> have a meeting with my editor and publisher agent uh, to talk about book uh, two. And so i uh, really excited about what I'm even, it's two books that I'm pitching and I didn't think that I could dig, that I could do anything better than putting my heart into the memo. But these two new things that I'm pitching, I think could even be more of a game changer than, than the memo.
0: Well, I think you're courageous, right? So whatever you courageously speak about, no matter how deep you have to dig for it, right? It's gonna be something that people have not heard before because it's you and it's from your perspective. Thank you. And um, and I can't wait to read it. I really loved your book. I didn't do enough music references for this. <laughs> but I'm like I'm a huge music yeah. fiend. Like I just know so much about music, so many stories. And uh, when it comes to diversity, right, people are so stuck in their bubbles, right? Yeah. Like I'm like, I can I can quote M O P lyrics. Like I hung out with M O P one night. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And even for me, I laugh. I tell people, you know, when you go out to happy hour, um, get you a karaoke song, you know, get some pour some sugar on me. You know, Leonard's get like there's all these different things like we just, you know, I think people of color, we've been forced to be diverse. Like we have to be diverse. Like there's no other way that we can live in this world without like walking in a diverse type of lens. And I think that we just want people to do that as well you know?
0: Yes. Yes. You know, I had a friend come over and she's like, you're listening to Dolly Parton. I didn't think you were, I'm like, why would I not be into Dolly Parton? <laughs> like if it's good music, I'm going to be listening to it. I just, I just want people to connect and hang out and dance and <laughs> have a good time and just not be jerks. Yes.
1: Well, I think you have to put out a shirt that just has like a jerk face in there and it has a line through it. <laughs> Don't be
0: jerk. I, I love your dreams. And I can't wait to hear about your books when when it comes out. And I think you're just doing some really amazing, 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 super, 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 super brave work. Thank you. Well, thank you because, for letting me be
1: part of your dream on this thank
0: podcast. You. <laughs> thank you. Well, you know, if you didn't write your book and if I didn't do my podcast, then we wouldn't even have this discussion. Yeah. So so here's to dreaming.
1: Dreaming and loving. Cheers to you. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> no, no.
0: I love that thank you so much for your time again and I can't wait for your books thank you thanks for tuning into the show I hope you enjoyed it please share on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Dream Nation Love it's not Dream Nation podcast it's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world so it's Dream Nation Love share it with your friends have a great day and go out and make the world a better place